0: So this is our second to last visit into Hebrews, and hopefully not in your life. Hopefully you come back to Hebrews again and, and again and again because you understand it now. But for our teaching for this season, it is that, and I think that's an accomplishment. I'm not sure any of us are going to sit here and say that they're a scholar of the book. Um, I, I maybe give Brianne and Susan some kudos in that. I would not give myself that, but... Um, My prayer and our prayer is that you have a better understanding of who God is, what this book has to say, and how Jesus intersects our lives and he changes people. Today as we're going to discuss Hebrews 12, we're going to talk about the practical side of what it means to persevere. So you've heard like you need to do this, you need to do this, this is why you need to do it, but how do we do it? And to have faithful endurance as well as address the fifth and final parenthetical warning Um, because I know that, I don't know, to me that we just need to complete that, like what's going on with these parenthetical warnings, so um, I don't know about you, but as I read through Hebrews, sometimes I would feel as though I was probably reading it in Greek, or maybe I was reading it poetry, like I was like, I don't understand some of the, like, I could read it and read it, and it's like, I I really have no idea what we're going through, and in high school, I remember in literature class, people who were really into literature would have us read poems, and they'd end it, or, like, Shakespeare, and, like, what do you think, and I think, I really don't think a lot of what we just said, like, I'm not retaining it, and I could read it a thousand times, and I might not understand it, and part of it, I think, is because it's so rich, and it's like, um, I don't like onions, so I don't want to really use that. But it's probably the best example. It's like there's layers, and like I feel like you have to stop and pause and be like, okay, they just said the word Jesus. Okay, the next word says like, is seated. Okay, so now he's seated where? Next to God. And all these things have such significance. Like there's a purpose behind each word. And I'm probably a person of way too many words, and so you could just get to the end of what I said and you'd catch the whole point. But like what they're saying in Hebrews, everything matters and so as we like layer the words on top of each other and then you can come back and see the final picture i want to encourage you as you are reading the word and maybe you're at a point where you're like i don't understand this i'm going to give you i think there's like six but some suggestions of what to do when we're at that point um one is ask someone hey like your husband have you read this before what do you think this means Someone in your community group, like read through a passage with them. Someone who you um, think the same or think differently. Um, Another thing, dwell on it. Just sit there and think on it. I know for me, sometimes when I'm doing my Bible scripture reading is not when I'm actually in my thinking brain. And... You probably are always in your thinking brains, but I'm not. And so I don't, like, I'm just like, okay. And if I'm not in my point where I'm actually thinking and engaged, I'm not going to bring out truths from it because I'm just trying to just, like, get a tidbit from it. And so just being thoughtful and when I'm doing it. Um, How significant praying for wisdom as we're reading God's word is. Um, Another one, do a more thorough study of it. Do it, like, if you're like, I read the Bible and I'm not getting out of it what I should or what I could, or it doesn't make sense, then make sure you're always using another study with you right now, just for the season, Um, at least to get you to the point where you understand it. Another read a commentary. I used, I was, (laughs) it was like this aha moment. I was reading the Moody Bible commentary last night, or this week, and Breanne had this class with this professor, Sauer, and I was like, oh, look, he's the one who wrote this commentary. That's why so much of what you say matches what I'm reading. Duh. Um, so those, it was a great. That's a great commentary if you're looking for a commentary, um, or listen to a sermon or podcast. I listened to Francis Chan, um, Matt Chandler, John Piper all this week, who all taught on Hebrew. Oh, Wilkin, all taught on Hebrews 12. And so like, everyone actually had lots of different ways to organize their thoughts on it, but they all had something that was like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And so just as you come, don't give up. Like God's word is meant for us to understand. And if we're at a point where we don't understand it, then don't give up, but go to the next step and take that time to do that. Um, So that was kind of my thing. So consider the time of day, the environment in which you're trying to do your reading. My prime time of thinking is actually at night. It's when everyone else is in bed, which is not always the best prime time to think, but that is, like, when I do my best thinking. And so I just have to know, like, I could try all day to get to this point. But until, like, everyone's in bed and the house is quiet, that's when I'm going to sit down and get some thinking done. So all let to say, we're going to go into Hebrews 12. Okay, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also set aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is what I'm talking about. There are so many words here. Like, there's so many things that you could go and talk about because there's so much depth to each word that's there. But um, it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And there's a couple different ways you can look at this. Um... It seemed consistently we're surrounded by the testimonies of those who've gone before us. Their testimony of what their experience has been of them finishing the race is what we just talked about in um, chapter 11. They went before us. They have witnessed the finishing and the persevering. And we can see that as a testimony that it's possible, that this is possible to do. As we lay aside the weight, not necessarily, it leaves sin separate. It says lay aside every weight and sin so there are some things in our life that are going to impact us in running this race that we need to stop doing and they might not be um, sin but there are things that are holding us back the question is not is this a bad but rather is this helping me what in our life are we doing that needs to stop or needs to start but that could help us and sin this cleaning clinging to us or entangling us those things that get in the way um this is a marathon race there's like a like all races there's a start and there's an end and um I was reading about this guy who ran this I think they're called ultra marathons yeah okay so I think it's like okay so this is like more than that it's like yeah, it's like hundred or two fifty. It was crazy, and it's in Australia. Has anyone heard the story about this guy? Um, I feel like his name was Cal Young, but I might. Also, I'll tell you at the end. But um, so he shows up, and people train and train, and you run from one city to the next city, the two biggest cities in Australia. And this guy shows up, and he's like, oh, like a farmer, and he's like, I'd like to run the race. And they give him a tag, and they're thinking this guy is crazy. And he runs the race, and he wins, and it's over a five-day period where they, they run, and they run, and they sleep, and they run, and they sleep, and they run, and they sleep, and he beat the record by 10 hours. No one had ever run it faster than him, and he shows, and there's kind of conflicting stories. He legitimately showed up in his galoshes and overalls to run the race, but he did not run the race in that. But that's how like people like to tell the story is like how he ran in his glasses. But they said he actually created the shuffle of how to run effectively, which looks silly, and so everyone made fun of him his whole race because he looks so silly because he was like shuffling. Can but you see his no, I actually I didn't. There's videos. i sh- It was like in 1986 this happened, and he tried it, and he was 61 years old also. There's all these pieces, but like he had been. They said, how in the world have you been able to do this? And he had been training by his lifestyle, and he um, sh- herded sheep, and there's times when he would have to go, and he said for three days, because he had like a 1,000 sheep on a 1,000 acres, and they didn't own a car. All these pieces are very interesting. But anyway, so he had to go and herd the sheep by f- feet, and so he would go, and he'd have to keep going, and he had to keep going and going and going, and that's how he trained, not intentionally for the race, but that's how he was able to not only finish the race, but win the race, and so that's kind of, when you hear about like, the marathon runner that, like, wowed everyone. That is, like, a story that was on the internet. But I want to (laughs) say we all have our own race to run. My marathon is not your marathon. And we know that we have been gifted differently. We have our own challenges. We have our own ministries. And I think as women and moms, sometimes we're, like, too worried about other people's races. Uh, Like my friend's race or my husband's race or my children's race. And I'm worried, like, they're not doing their race well enough, so, like, I take time to coach them. Like, it's not coaching them, it's just, like, in their way. And there's times, though, when I am comparing my race to theirs. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair that they get, like, this is the discipline they get, but I had this discipline. Like, that's not fair. But the Lord knows, and he plans those things on your race. And so run the race that's before you. Don't run the race that's over here. And I was just reminding this this week, like, there's things that the, I constantly remind myself like there's things that the Lord has graciously put in my life for me to impact and influence. And there's things out here that I would love to do that too, But those aren't that's not where the Lord has me. And so sometimes I hear those things and sometimes I can get very angry and passionate that they're not going my way. But I know I don't have influence on that. And it's like remind myself like th- this is what you've been given and do this well because this is what you're going to be held accountable for. I'm not held accountable for this over here, but I will be held accountable for my sin towards it but I'm not held accountable for what happens with it when this is what the Lord has given me. So as we were running this race, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And when I was 13 years old, I took driver's education. So all you have junior hires, you can think how much more awesome junior high would be. your junior hires would be if they could drive cars. And so as an eighth grader, I was driving. And um, I did live in North Dakota. There weren't as many cars. And most people learned how to drive at like age eight. I was the only one who had to learn how to drive in driver's ed. Everyone else already knew how. But I remember the teacher saying, you all, like, I had a hard time turning. Like, I just remember, like, and everyone else got dropped off at the end of the day. And I had to stay in the car to learn how to turn because he's like, you're not turning right. There weren't that many turn, Like, there were no stoplights for us to go through. Like, it was a very secluded place that we lived. But um, anyway, I remember him saying one time, like, you're going to drive where your eyes are. And his illustration was that one time he had a student who's driving, and all of a sudden they're sitting in the middle of someone's yard. And he's like, She's like, This is my friend's house. He's like, I, I can tell. We are in her yard because you weren't looking where you were going. You wanted to show me your friend's house. And so, like, and I, as a, I remember that story as impactful then as a 13 year old. Don't do that. But just think about, like, we're going to go where our eyes are. And when we turn our eyes to stare at someone else's race or to stare at what else is going on over here, we start veering in that direction unintentionally. But we're meandering. We're going about. We're not intentionally going forward. And Jesus is the ultimate witness that we're going to see. Like, so we have the witnesses who have gone before us. But it says looking to Jesus. He is the best witness we have. He is the best testimony. Not only is he at the right hand of God, but he endured on the cross. He was here. He lived a life on earth, and he authored our faith, and he knows our whole story. He knows how it ends. I was reading the endurance on the cross as a reminder that the death on the cross was a shameful death. And to think that just how significant the words together are that he endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of God that this man who died what we would consider the worst death, the most shameful, that that would be the value of his life, and yet his value is so much higher because that is how God sees him and who he is. So Hebrews, um, going on, it talks about enduring discipline from God. And I'm going to read 7 to 11. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have a heavenly, an earthly father who disciplines us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as they seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems fa- painful, Rather than pleasant, but it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. As we talk about discipline, in which we are a child of God, so we should expect discipline, but we should also want it. We should want it in our life. and We should consider Jesus. He endured so we would not grow weary. He's the main character, and he's our example that he is better than anything and everything so as we've been disciplined by earthly fathers they were doing what seemed best to them and I'm an earthly mother I'm not an earthly father but I can tell you that I strive to keep my motivation genuine and pure but I still have deficiencies I can think of well four I can think of lots but these are the four like categories I was thinking of first off I'm a fallen sinner So when I'm dealing with my children and disciplining them, I'm also dealing with my own sin, my own, my anger, my selfishness, my irritation for being inconvenienced. That is part of my discipline process. I'm also not divinely in control. I cannot control my children. I can't control my husband. I can't control others. I can't control their friends. And I have not even expected to control them because I have to trust God with that peace. I have limited knowledge. I don't even know what I don't know like and so when I'm trying to make a decision on disciplining I like this is all I've got and I have to like make a decision based on what I know but there's all this information that I don't even can't consider but I don't know it and I'm not in a place to find it out and the last thing is I can't see their heart I can parent their heart as much as I want I can pay close attention I can take notes I can work on it I can make that my 100% job but ultimately I have to trust God to provide that insight and that Is nothing in that depends on my amazingness, and so think of that as a parent. All those deficiencies, even in like my effort to be a godly parent, and yet to see like how much better a heavenly father is. He's pure and perfect. He's the creator and he's sovereign. He's all knowing, all powerful, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And his purpose in disciplining us is that we can share in his holiness. My purpose as I parent sometimes is to have a peaceful car ride. It's that we can get somewhere the fastest. It is to have the most efficient grocery shopping trip. It is that I would be have a frugal month of shopping, not considering lots of other things, that we would make the healthiest food choices. All these things can distract us from God is pursuing our holiness, our sanctification, us becoming more and more like Jesus. And so how much more and Better is his discipline on our life and want to be under that. And not all discipline will benefit the believers. Only those who have been trained by it says. So embrace it and learn from it. And don't miss your opportunity to be made holy. Okay, so the next part is we're going to talk about encouragement. So it talks about, I'll read 12 and 13. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is encouragement to the spiritual, to your, kind of your spiritual being. First, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths. Don't drift in your spiritual walk. He's calling us to an active plan. And what are you going to do? And how are you going to do it? This may, um, as you think about like. It says, make straight paths and you will be healed. So like you're still just supposed to stay on the path. You're not supposed to stop the path, stay on it. And um, Connie, it made me think of you in physical therapy because that's like what you don't, in order to heal a lot of times when you've injured yourself, it's not that you stop using it. You just have to retrain it or you have to rebuild um, the muscle. And two times I've had to have physical therapy. And in both times, the stories aren't glamorous it was always like very embarrassing to have to tell the story of why in the world i had created this situation one i was came back from i was gone for 11 weeks on a mission trip in europe in my senior year of high school and i came home and i think the second day i was home in my life we did cartwheels through our living room like all the time that's how we just like walked we just cartwheeled and my kids do that too if you've seen them they just that's how they go around life. and a picture frame had been taken off the wall and so it was up kind of like this, and it was like on the side. And so when my foot came down; it like hit that, which shouldn't have damaged it, but it like totally tore my entire uh, meniscus. And so I couldn't walk. So I go back to school my senior year. My sister's driving me because she's a freshman, but we can drive uh, there because that's what you can do, right? Because that's what you can do in North Dakota. And um, I had this immobilizer. I couldn't even walk. I remember going on our senior retreat, like dragging my leg, and people were like, "What'd you do? I heard you like cartwheeled into a wall, like." I did, like what else could I say? But I went to physical therapy and I didn't, they didn't have me start running, they didn't have me start even bending it. They just started doing these like minor things to actually strengthen other muscles so that it would be healed. The second embarrassing thing I did to get physical therapy was I was pregnant with Callie, my second child, and I was carrying a laundry basket down our stairs and it caught on my shoulder and like just dislocated my entire shoulder. And because I was pregnant, they wouldn't, like, pop it back into place. I had to go to the ER, all these things, and it took forever. And so they finally got into place. And I was like, why does this still hurt? And they said, oh, you're going to be in physical therapy for months. I was like, but I just, it was like a, like, it wasn't a big deal. Like, it wasn't even, I don't understand. They're like, oh, you, like, all the trauma you caused to that muscle to, like, pop it out of place and all the ligaments, it's in terrible shape. So i had to do physical therapy which i was told if you're pregnant that is the best time to do any of these injuries because there's so much extra blood in your um thing that you heal so quickly so they told me <laughs> all their knee replacement he's like if i could give all my knee replacement people advice i'd tell them to get pregnant but then none of them were really capable of becoming pregnant so but <laughs> all let say all the same activity is how you're going to bring the healing and so as I bent the knee and I strengthened the muscles, it was tedious and it was super boring. Like, I had to drop off a child in childcare and I had to go and sit there and I could, like they'd exhaust the muscle. They're like, we can't really do anything else with your shoulder, it's exhaust-. like the muscle, the one muscle we have to strengthen is exhausted. Like, this is the most we can do. So then I'd leave and then come back two days later and they'd do the same thing of like this super repetitive motion. But it didn't matter. Because what they were doing was strengthening the little muscles that would then strengthen and give me the ability to start moving. And what I wanted was full range of motion. I wanted to be able to, I don't know if I have full range of motion now, but I wanted to be able to move my arm fully. And I wanted to do what I had been able to do before. And by making the path straight and having this healing process, I was able to go back and to continue to grow as opposed to just being sidelined. I had to follow the plan, though. I had to follow what they had prescribed in order to bring that about. So it says lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. These things are going to stop you and hold you back. And then look at your feet. Make sure the paths you're on are straight so that when you are lame, it may not then be out of joint. So you could cause further injury, but you can also bring it to healing. So strive always... To be at peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one sees the Lord. And it's talking, it's talking about, um, so I read in a couple different versions. And the heart that they were trying to say was like, rather than it being about you keeping peace, it's reflecting to what we've just been talking about. Going through trials, going through discipline, going through all these things that there should be this inner peace in your soul to know that God has this under control. And we do that because of the encouragement with everyone. When everyone is on the same page and they can say like, hey, I'm here to encourage you and like, I know what's going on. It can give you the sense of peace to know that this is what God is doing. This is where God is working. So we should, in the homework this week, the coming week, we're gonna ask the question, what plan... Do you need to set in place for your feet what is an area in your life where you've been passive what do you need to be active in and how you spend your time and what you're putting into your life and where you're running So, kind of looking back at those last i think we just read 14 verses talking about you're running a race and how are you running it how have you equipped yourself to run it the best What are you doing that is hindering your race? And what are you running towards? And then rather than live in the fear of the discipline or of the endurance you might need, live in peace. Seek that inner calm despite what's going on around you and do that with others. Okay. So the next 15... Two seventeen 17 is a charge we ask you to do these three things it says no one see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God see to it no root of bitterness springs up and see to it that no one is like Esau those are a challenge to us to encourage each other to check ourselves like am I doing this am I the one who is this is this talking about me but then see to it that no one like this is about being in community How are we together encouraging each other to not obtain, to fall away from the grace of God? To having a root of bitterness spring up? Or to be like Esau, who is willing for a meal, one single indulgence, to give away everything? John Piper says, It's just a quote, and I I couldn't really, really reword it. So I'm just going to read it to you. We can see that in these commands, they're based on what God is already doing in us and for us by his loving discipline. Because God is at work for our holiness and for our peace, therefore don't fail to obtain the grace, but submit to God and pursue the very peace and holiness and strength that he is working in you by his loving discipline. The exhortations here are not ways of getting God to act, but they are ways for you to act when you trust that God is already acting. So the exhortations here are not ways to get God to act. He is already acting. These are ways for you to act when you trust that God is already acting for you. This is so important for your everyday life. It means that the biblical way to be stirred up To do what you ought to do is to think or consider things about God and his action for you. The things in the past, the present, and the future. The entire book of Hebrews is written to give you truth about God to think about so that you will not be like Esau who failed to persevere. He did not obtain the grace of God and was lured into a death trap for a short-term pleasure, a single meal. Those are, t- I want Hebrews to be more encouraging. I really do. Like, I feel like, okay. Like, Jen Wilkins always said, she's like, Hebrews doesn't sell. Like, no one doesn't, in- I think I said that the same thing. Like, no one does Instagram posts about Hebrews. Like, oh, Esau, he ate that one meal and lost it all. Like, the- no one's posting that. Because it doesn't sell. But that's like, there's so much truth to it. And to not discourage us in it. But to, like, engage in it, too. Okay, so, verse 18 starts the parenthetical warning. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you kind of like what we're trying to contrast, and then you guys can tell me the answers if you can look. You'll find them directly in that passage. So um, we're contrasting the old ta- the old covenant with the new covenant, which we've been doing kind of the whole time. And um, there's seven f- ideas. It's called like the sevenfold of each covenant is listed there. So the old covenant is from, they're both from mounts. Which mount is the Old Covenant? Sinai. And what's the New Covenant? Mount Zion. Okay. And the Old Covenant starts with, you have not come, versus the New Covenant says, you have come. And they're likened to the mountains, and they're often considered places of worship. So that is kind of like, they know that, the Hebrew people know that, that is being written too. And so it says, You not come to what may be touched. So Mount Zion could be touched. Could Mount is, let's just do all the Old Covenant and then we'll go to the New Covenant. So Mount Sinai can be touched. The second word is, what's the next word? Blazing fire. That is the Shekinah glory. So all of this kind of happened when the Old Covenant came. So the Shekinah glory came down. So what may be touched? A blazing fire. darkness, um, which is like there's smoke that descended when the covenant was given. So it's the darkness. Next word, gloom. There was dread when the covenant was given. The next one, tempest. And in, um, it must have been like the Holtman's, they said whirlwinds, but it's to depict the nature of God that like he comes as a storm. The next one is The sound of a trumpet, so God approached from a distance. He is not near. He like, like you heard it from far away, and like had to get that warning. And then the last one, the voice. Okay, the voice whose words made the hearers beg. It's the sound of words, and it's talked about in Deuteronomy of him who is speaking from the heavenly realities but it's only reflected in earthly events. So they, can, they know that's what's it's going on, but it's like only seen in um, earthly events. And Exodus 2018 I'm going to read that because I feel like this offered insight to me. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said, you speak to us, and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us. So that was their response. So they clearly, they were afraid, and they just wanted, like, we just want to talk to Moses. We don't talk to God. I don't think in my, like, there's people like in parenting, like, well, like mom or dad, like how about how mom you take care of this one? I don't want to talk to dad about this. There's things like, you know, one parent was more passionate about than the other parent and you would choose to like engage that parent on the topic. I feel like it's kind of like, you know, we'll go this way. Okay, so now the new covenant goes from there that we're going to compare and it starts on 22, yes. So it's in Mount... Zion, which is the city of the Living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. The next is there are innumerable angels in gathering, and then this is describing as rejoicing over believers. So like there is this like much celebrating going on because in Mount Zion, that is where the believers are um, brought in to salvation. The next one, to assembly, yes, of the firstborn, the general assembly of the elect people who are enrolled as citizens of heaven. So there's this relationship going on. The next one is God, yep, the judge, but he is now our father. So there's like a relationship that's been brought there. Then The next one is the spirit of righteous was made perfect. So like what the old covenant couldn't do, like everything is made perfect now. Um, Jesus, who approaches us so closely that he became human and a willing sacrifice. Compare that to the trumpet that is from afar. And you have Jesus who's like born here on earth to be touched. And then the last concept is... um, that they are talking about the sounds of words and the old covenant, which is like he's speaking from heavenly realities, but it's only reflected in earthly events versus here in the new covenant, we have this whole concept of the glory and we have confidence and we have access, we have privilege, we have eternal, we have all these other things going on with this um, Holy Spirit that we get with the new covenant that they like really can be like, wow, there's an earthquake that must be God or like, look, there's smoke that must be God versus we can tell like in our own lives, like the work that he's doing. That creates this like spiritual realm in our life. Okay. So I wanted to go through that, not because I was like, wow, that was so insightful. <laughs> but I like, I was like, if I ended the study and like no one explained, like, what are we even looking at? That to me was like, I like, I did read lots of commentaries on it because it's like I'm just not understanding what is even going on here. To say like that was so significant to them because what they're trying to show is the gloriousness of the Sinai covenant which they felt like it was, and it truly was, it pales in comparison to what Jesus is offering. And sort of remind yourself, keep running that race. Like, keep running. Like, yes, do you remember what this was? Do you remember this past? And like, yes, that was good, but look at this. This is so much better. And sort of keep running. And so the significance to them and that, um, but then to see the order of God. Like, I love to see like, wow, this like actually references back to this like the Bible is timeless. Like it has withstood the test of time and it points back to itself in multiple ways that continue to be accurate. And so we can trust it even more. Um, so then going to verse 25. Um, so see to you do not refuse him who is speaking for they did not escape this when they refused him who warned them on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So just as they refused on that passage in Exodus, they refused to talk to God. They're like, we're just going to talk through Moses. So they refused that and they did receive punishment for that. So how would we expect if we reject an even better covenant that there won't be a consequence for that? There will be. Like you you can't have it and reject it at the same time. Verses 26 and 27 talks about the shaking. And so it did say in Exodus how like, The mountain shook when the um, covenant came and shook the whole earth. And yet it says, more I will shake. Yet once more I will shake, not only the earth, but also the heavens. So before it only shook the earth. And now in the future, it's going to shake the heavens. And he will come again. Jesus will come again. And will be shaking of all things temporal. And only the eternal things will remain. It's talking about judgment and things like that. But. There's like hope in that because when you think about like when you're grounded and you know where your faith is, those are the eternal things. So view verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is in consuming fire. So in view of this eternal promise and hope, our response is to be gratitude and worship, not fear. There's awe and reverence, but that's not like hiding under a table, fear or refusing to talk to God, fear. So we offer this in line with who God is. He deserves this, and He is the all-consuming fire. Um, another quote from John Piper was: "Christians at conversion do not come to an, okay. Christians at conversion do not come to the earthly mountain and meet God there. Christianity has no geographic center." We come to a heavenly city with a heavenly assembly, to a divine judge, but most importantly to a mediator whose blood was shed for our sins. And that's the main voice we hear. All invisible, all spiritual, and therefore accessible anywhere. Our faith is not primarily motivated out of fear, but it should be out of love from the Savior. The old covenant brought the people to a point where they said no more. We like can't hear it, and we have a loving Savior that says, "Because I shed blood, I love you. I forgive you. I purchased you. I cleansed you. I protect you. I keep you. I'll always be there for you." Run this race. I think is I think about the things that can distract me and the things that I would rather be doing, and I have run a I've run a number of five Ks. But the process of training and doing all that, there's things that you learn about perseverance and um, learning to stay the course. And there's times when you, we just want to give up. There's times where I'd rather just take, I'd rather just not have to try. I'd rather just sit and maybe watch Netflix. Or I'd rather just do something else and not have to respond in love to this person. I'd rather not have to walk into the school and know that I have ministry sitting right in front of me. Like this past week, we did um, our school did a Mary Poppins musical, and I had this opportunity to braid hair of lots of people. And as you're braiding hair, it's like this choice of like, I like, you can ask Lauren like, but and I couldn't stand straight because I like when you braid hair, you don't like stand straight. And so there was like one time I was like braiding, braiding, braiding. I'm like, oh, can you hold that? Okay, I'm gonna braid this way. And by then I was like, I just don't think I can stand anymore. And I, though, those opportunities to talk to students that I wouldn't normally get to talk to and to ask them questions and then to remember the answers because then tomorrow when I'm braiding their hair again, I cannot ask them where they live and where they go to church. Like that can't be the conversation. I need to take it to the next level of like, hey, Susie, how, like, what'd you think about this? Or how about this? And engage them to the next level. And that is part of the race that the Lord has put before me. And I know that. And it's with confidence. Like, Michael asked me, Pastor Michael asked me last year, like, Lisa, why do you go and braid hair for the musical when I was braiding for Cinderella last year? And um, I was like, I, I don't know. People do it. Like, aren't we supposed to do it? He's like, no, there's lots of people not doing that. Like, that's not like this call on everyone's life. And so it made me think, like, Lord, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, I don't want to just be doing things because I enjoy it or just doing things because I'm wasting time and don't want to do my dishes. Like, why am I choosing to do this? And it, it just put it on my heart that this is like, he has put up just like a passion for me to pursue people and to pursue these students who like, I, a lot of the like I've gotten to substitute a couple times at the school and so I get to see the same students there and they know me by name. Um, and then I get to, know about them and I get to like be present with my kids and to me it's like not about braiding here it's actually about ministering to students and being uh, present in that time and so but that's the Lord working on me and that's the race that he's put before me and he's given me the capacity to do it sometimes sometimes not and then but he still calls me to it at those times and it's like leaning in like okay I really can't do this how are we going to make how can I make this work but to look at our lives, um, what are things that the Lord has put there in your life, on your race? And you know, like, to be faithful, that is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be running towards it and continuing to um, bend to it and continuing to give towards it. But there's things that you've put in your life, and Lord's like, you know, if you stop doing that, you can actually do the things I've called you to much better. Like, if you stop, like, focusing on this or you stop, um, like, holding tightly to this relationship that I've told you is not the season for but you're like, no, 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 It's it, this is mine, this is mine. And, like, you just keep running. Like, that is going to cause you to go slower. It's going to cause you to, go to like, you meander, be distracted, whatever might be the case. But the Lord has put those races in front of us, and we, it's a marathon. And so you're not going to see the end, so sometimes that's discouraging. Like, when will this end? I'd rather it be a sprint, because then you can rest and regroup. And there's no re Like, there's different regrouping in the spiritual walk, but it's not the same there's water, there's water table yeah lauren's gonna man your water table on your run but um <laughs> but even so much like turn um like we were, i was joking this week about like turning hebrews into my vocabulary like oh but that's the race you're running but there is something to be said about like realizing when you have those like words they like trigger something significant like you're right this is like the race we're running this is the lord providing this is that and so, ha- adding those words to your vocabulary to remind yourself, like, nope, this is where God wants me. This, like, the Lord wants me to, whatever, um, might be, and um, work in Awana and serve and care for those kids. And it's really loud in Oahuana. I don't serve in and It is loud, and I am so thankful for all the people who serve in Oahuana because they have to leave the night and think their their head has to hurt, their back has to like. But, like, my kids love Awana, and I'm so thankful for all the men and women of our church who serve in Awana to make that possible. And so there's lots of things like that that are going on that, like, without you doing that, someone else is impacted. So um, I—do you want to—can you go start the thing? Yeah. Okay, so in your notes, there should be um, lyrics to a song. Hmm. I didn't look to see where it ended up. The second page? Let's see. Yes. Okay. Um, so I heard that I found this song at the beginning when we first were going to do Hebrews. And I was like, oh, a song about Hebrews. And I, I liked it, but I didn't understand it. And now that we are in, week 12, or in chapter 12, I understand it. And I think it's just beautiful, and I um, wanted to share it with you guys um, just as you listen to it. And kind of like at the end, it says... Um, We should offer to God acceptable worship in reverence and awe. And just a reminder of, like, all that God has done. So it's just going to play, and then the lyrics are there. And um, this last verse of Hebrews 12 is set up for Hebrews 13. So it's talking about what we need to offer to God acceptable worship and Hebrews 13 is telling us what that acceptable worship is. And so that is like a great jumping point for next week as we t- or not next week. In 2 weeks when we come back after Thanksgiving, talk about what is that?